0: And welcome to the Kachat, the only podcast brave enough to ask a question. Hey, what's up with the cars? I'm Lucas Southworth,
1: and I'm John Bishop.
0: Nice. That was a interesting energy we brought to this one. But you know, it's season two. We're gonna we we need to start experimenting a bit more with, I guess, specifically tempo of words. <laughs> it's what we've decided. But yeah, thank you. Welcome to the Kachat. If you didn't understand whatever I just said, we
1: experimenting. What kind of experimenting?
0: Oh, nice. Uh, robot experimenting. <laughs> is that what you're going for?
1: Yeah, but...
0: <laughs> hoping I did a better job than robot <laughs> experimenting.
1: I, I had forgotten that one of the two of us is more likely to have reacted to that by making like more specifically related to the material uh, puns. You mean specifically related to the material. (laughs) You got that one. You got that one.
0: John, real quick, we're going to tell you what it's about if you didn't read the title, but did you intentionally set me up with the word specific?
1: You'll never know.
0: So almost certainly, yes. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) you remember last episode when I was like, I had this idea for a series called "Orangins" or "Orangin Stories.
1: And then he cut out like five minutes of me telling him how terrible of a name that was.
0: Oh, if if previous uh, examples of me naming series continues, then that will not be the name that's in the title of this episode, but it's like origin I got, stories.
1: I got bad news, Lucas. I'm pretty sure that's going to stick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to understand that I know it's a bad name, but I don't know. Do you have a better one?
1: Lucas, you know I don't. You know I don't.
0: Well, then you can stop complaining about it. I
1: honestly, I on my drive to work this morning, I did come up with, like, a name. But the name okay. I came up with was just a longer version of the name. And it was Origin of Species, except it was... Ah, oh, shoot. I somehow weaved Pacific Rim and just changed Man to Car... I don't know how I made it work, but I did.
0: Okay. If we're going to do this, let's do this. Is there a way we can make prequel work? You think on that and I'll explain what the series is.
1: Did you say prequel?
0: <laughs> yeah. We are e- examining these movies as if they're prequels to Cars.
1: Mm, okay. Okay.
0: Uh, that is the concept of the of these episodes is we're looking at different movies, TV shows, maybe even like video games or God forbid, books probably not books uh (laughs) that we think could potentially lead into the cars universe basically the toy story episode we did super early in the in the series is one of these as well as the vampires episode but we didn't have a name for it yet so now we sort of do i don't like it but john has thought of another one so i'm gonna throw it to john
1: cars the pre-fuel
0: I'm not going to go so far to say that that's worse. I'm not, not sure better. it's better, though. Yeah.
1: Orangen the pre-fuel.
0: That is much worse this time. So we succeeded in, I don't know, moving the needle. But mm-hmm. maybe we can use that momentum. We'll keep thinking on it. For now, it's mm-hmm. called Orangen stories. <laughs> For now. Is there anything in stories? No, we can't. We have to do an episode of our podcast. We can't do an episode of our podcast about naming a number of episodes of our podcast real quick i'm so hot i'm gonna t- go turn on the air conditioner because it's off and i'm very warm sorry everybody
1: <laughs> all right everybody Well, he's gone i'm just gonna tell you something i'm in a very strange state of mind i'm very tired and uh he said he was very hot and my immediate reaction was to want to remove some of the blankets from my body so that he wouldn't be as hot and uh i think that's a funny thing that he's going to hear when he is editing this, so uh, there's, there's just that. I am wearing three blankets, by the way.
0: Hey, I'm back. I'm sure John didn't do the bit where he talks about me and then pretends like he didn't now that I'm back. And if he did, I'm going to cut it out. So buy that audio.
1: Wow, I'm being silenced.
0: Sure. But yeah, this episode uh, specifically, specifically, is about Pacific Rim. And if that could be a uh, prequel to the Cars movies, uh, I think we wanted to start with something that wasn't just, eh, this has a sentient car in it. Okay. Almost certainly we're going to do episodes of this that is just, this has a sentient car in it. Okay. But this one seems like a bit more nuanced, maybe, than those.
1: But before we continue, I must say I've thought of two much worse names.
0: Okay, might as well.
1: All right, so you know how when you do a one-off, sometimes people call it a one-shot? Okay. And since we're doing Pacific Rim, I thought, oh, this could this could be our, our rim shot. Hmm. Moving on. Well, The Italian Job is, is a car movie. <laughs> kinda. Is it? It's a it heavily that, so featured I, I... Mini Coopers in a way that made them very popular. Uh, so what sure. if it was just The Rim Job?
0: Hmm. Okay, moving on. Uh...
1: <laughs> and I, I, I do want to clarify that uh, I had sure. to tell that like good 40 seconds story so that uh, I could relinquish the the uh, trap of my mind, but that was just like a few seconds of my life where it just a few sparks connected. And uh, I just knew that if I didn't share that, I'd have been thinking about it for about 3 hours.
0: Well, see as we're going seeing as we're going to be recording for the next, I don't know, hour and 5 minutes. Uh, I appreciate you getting that off your mind, real mm-hmm. early. Yep. So, John, I think we should go ahead. What do you think? We should lay out what Pacific Rim is if you haven't seen it probably. Usually we'll have like just watched these properties before we do these, but we're like super familiar with the Pacific Rim. Mm -hmm. Uh, franchise. I feel like both of us are like really big fans of it, so we didn't do that. John might have. I didn't do it. But yeah, Pacific Rim, it's a really good movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. about uh, people and big, big robots fighting big, big monsters. Yep, that's, uh, that's the movies. Yeah, the story isn't groundbreaking, but the action is so cool, and the characters are so good, and the world building is so good, and everything's so pretty, and take t- It takes itself so, like, seriously. Like, it's like, this. we know what this genre is, and we love it, and this is a love letter to it. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and then they made the second one.
0: Yeah, I was going to eventually get to Pacific Rim Uprising, which was a fairly disappointing uh, follow-up to it. But I, I yep. will say, in my theories of how we get to Cars, Uprising is unfortunately important.
1: Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, most of my theories hinge on the second movie.
0: Yeah, that's a shame. The second movie is basically the first movie, but with less heart. John is there, and he's a highlight of it, even though I, his character isn't that great. But it's John Boyega, so you're like, oh, that's cool.
1: He does a great job with a character that I don't like.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, actually. Charlie Day is also in it, and he's genuinely a fun time in both of the movies. Uh, so that's at least something.
1: Uh... He was great in the first one.
0: I don't like how they chose to take his character in the second one, but he commits to the d- direction in a good way, I think. Yeah. He, Much like John Boyega.
1: He takes it the way that he should have taken it if he had to follow the storyline they were setting up.
0: But yeah, I mean, that's the basic of Pacific Rim. Go watch it. It's genuinely super good. But the really important part for me, like that Bridges the gap from Pacific Rim to cars. uh, That like even made me think of this as a possibility. It's the way they control the giant robots is they plug their brains into them, basically. Which Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, John, but that's like the entirety of how we're going to get from Pacific Rim to cars on my side.
1: You see, I could say that or I could say... What if you consider the second movie in which instead of people plugging into the enemy robots, the enemy robots are just exosuits with squishy bits?
0: That's, that's a point I was going to get to also that in the second movie, they like put, I guess the monster brains, I guess they were monster brains, uh, into the, uh, Yeagers, which are the big robots. Uh, Mm -hmm. And those pilot them, which makes it even more direct. But Mm -hmm. I was saying the very basic of it is that people put their brains in robots.
1: Yeah, I I feel like it's just really hard for me not to get to the point of why. Like the single most disappointing thing about the second film is that when the robots, the enemy robots get really overpowered the brain spreads throughout the entire mechanism in an organic fashion and just punches holes through it, which just... Yeah. That just would make it worse. You're just breaking your suit.
0: (laughs) They do just sort of break the big robot, uh, and they're like, oh my gosh, now it's better.
1: Somehow. The point of the robot suits was the robot suits were used to kill you, And you made a better robot suit by having your brain be directly attached to the robot suit. Why would you want to go back in the direction of having an organic body when organic body was the flaw?
0: Yeah. If we haven't said it, I'm going to go ahead and say we're fully going to spoil Pacific Rim 1 and 2 in this episode. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and do the wiki quote because I've sort of already beat around the bush with the wiki quote. Mm -hmm. And that's the title of the wiki quote this week, of the week.
1: Give me that uh, recursive Pandora's box of the week.
0: Sure. This week we're going over to pacificrim.fandom.com slash wiki slash pacific underscore rim colon underscore uprising parentheses film. We're going down to the trivia section. And this one's a real quick one. There's just a bit of trivia that I really like that says, When asked whether or not he would return for the Pacific Rim sequel during an AMA on Reddit, Idris Elba was doubtful considering, quote, his character died in the first one. (laughs) That's it. I just enjoyed that a lot.
1: Yep. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, cars. Cars. We've laid out the basics of, we, we have a theory in cars that they are organic beings that are sort of plugged into an exosuit. And that lines up really well with some of the Pacific Rim beats. Specifically, I want to talk about the fact that in the first Pacific Rim, they need to have two people in what they call a drift to control the Jaeger. But then mm-hmm. in the second movie, uh, they show a very small Jaeger that is able able to be controlled by a single person. So in any... any doubts about, like, oh, you need two people to control it. No, if it's tiny, you don't, and cars are tiny.
1: All right, so I'm going to go with my fun fact of the day. All right, so... Go for it, yeah. When, like, talking about what he wanted this movie to be, Guillermo del Toro wanted it to be what I would consider to be an 80s action movie, and that's just, like, this pretty lighthearted, like, a bit a bit more goofy and cheesy uh as he describes it incredibly airy and light feel uh in contrast to super brooding super dark cynical summer movie and it's supposed to have a focus on these these beautiful action scenes and these beautiful giant sweeping vistas and whatnot and it's it's really great because i love the fact that i think i can credit Guillermo del Toro and Pacific Rim for trying to start the bringing back of that that good old 80s cheese in movies and uh if you don't know what i'm talking about just like pacific rim aquaman a little bit shazam but not all that much and the meg
0: a little bit of ragnarok
1: yeah definitely a lot of ragnarok but like that that typical movie where the protagonist doesn't have to be angry that he's the lead in a movie and don't get me wrong even the lead in this movie is this, like, dark, broody, oh, my life is terrible type of character. But it almost feels like the movie makes fun of him for it because... Oh, it,
0: f- it f- fully does.
1: Yeah, because, again, we're obsessed with this beautiful character Idris Elba plays. And the whole point of his character seems to be, hey, I'm you but better in every way. And this movie should be about me, but it's about you.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I will say one thing about it is that uh, the main character, Raleigh, is that how you say his name? Raleigh. He makes a big, (laughs) he makes a big point at correcting some guy. So I always feel self-conscious about pronouncing his name is very brooding and dark until he meets like the secondary lead. Is it Mako or Mako?
1: It's, it's definitely both.
0: Okay, the secondary lead, uh, who is like a person he can, he's drift compatible with, and then he just like pretty immediately brightens up and is like, oh, cool, I have a friend again who I can pilot a big robot with. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's good. And that's, I always enjoyed that a lot.
1: And it's great because somehow we're perfectly compatible because we're both bland, attractive main character.
0: And I will say, We're going to talk about Cars, I promise, but we're going to also gush about this movie a lot. Mm -hmm. I agree that they're sort of bland main characters, but for some reason, I still fall in love with both of them. Like, I care so much about both of them, and I don't know why, because I think John is right that on paper, both of them are your classic, oh, they lost their family because of this event that's happening, and they're trying to sort of avenge them uh, slash find a purpose through this and uh, they're just sort of you know they, they they're very stereotypical characters but gosh they're just played with such love and i oh i mm-hmm. love them
1: i think it's because honestly these two characters are designed to have that dark broody oh woe is me attitude but in every situation where they're playing on that in a lot of movies nowadays that's what gives them the strength grit and determination But in this movie, it's their flaw. It's the thing that's wrong with them. It's the thing that holds them back. Yeah. Like, with him, he has to overcome his uh, self-inflicted isolation because he loses his brother at the beginning. And with her, she wants so badly to avenge her family and to fight these giant monsters without ever coming to grips with the fact that she's Been scarred since she was a child by them, and she is intensely afraid of them. And she doesn't face that until she's forced to by them drifting together. And like the dark, broodiness, they have to work past it, it's not something they use as a weapon.
0: That's honestly, John, that's a super good way to put that. We're going, we're doing. Some genuine good analysis of Pacific Rim, which I didn't really expect in our Dumb Cars podcast.
1: Because it's such a good movie, and I feel like a lot of people it's, think it's bad because it's cheesy, and that's... I don't like it.
0: And it is cheesy, but that's what makes it great. We've said that a hundred times. John, we're gonna talk about how the they go from big robots to tiny cars. You lead us off go.
1: Alright, so... In the second film, one of the main fighting robots is specifically piloted by one person because it's a much smaller robot. And the whole point of that second film is that the aliens are learning to defeat us by doing what we're doing. So if someone is able to fight that well in a smaller version with less dedicated power... Without the split mind, the split hive mind even, of the other species. The the alien race is a weird thing because, as you find out in the first movie, they're all connected mentally. Even if they're different kaiju, those kaiju are all a part of the same mind that is controlled by other aliens on a different planet.
0: Different dimension even, I think.
1: Yeah, they have to use a, a rift or a rim that opens up in the Pacific Ocean. So yeah, they're they're going to notice in the second film, hey, we lost again. This time, a lot of the uh, new cool fighting robots were great and all, but we took a lot of those out. And then one of the robots that was most effective at fighting us was this small little one. So they're going to think, well, why don't we do that? Why don't we get smaller? And then they're going to realize wait a minute, humans already have millions of tiny machines that our brains could pilot. So they're going to start doing the infection of our world because, again, the whole thing is they're trying to take our world from us after we have terraformed it to be more livable for them.
0: By polluting it.
1: By polluting it. Which really (laughs) emphasizes the whole, they're all cars. In the Cars movies, they're all cars. There is just going to be so much of a greenhouse gas production from that. And as we find out in the Pacific Rim movie, that's what they eat. That's what they breathe. So the fact that their cars and the fact that greenhouse gases would be getting worse in a world where every person is a car, that makes sense. And now you might be wondering, okay, but why do they have the same general personalities as the humans? Not a human, generically, but like specific individuals, and why do they replicate uh, our our systems as they were? Like they they have the same culture and all of that. Just they're car people, and that's because.
0: Can I throw it out? Absolutely. I'm not sure if this is where you're going, but my theory is a big a big point of uh pacific rim uprising that i think you were referencing as what you don't like so much is that in the first one charlie day's character connects his brain to one of like the defeated brains of the kaiju and therefore like gains a connection with uh this other race of people the result of that is in the second movie he is the villain that's what we were saying we don't mind spoiling Mm -hmm. uh Because it's weird and dumb, but it's canon. And that's because he retained a connection to this other, uh, to this hive mind. Uh, But I would argue that that would go both ways in the, in the way that he became more callous and like these creatures, connecting his brain to theirs would make them more human as well, since he is now an equal part of the hive mind. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that quite possibly what has made them more human is that they've I don't think Charlie Day's character alone is enough to do it. But I think along the way, they've probably connected more brains to their hive mind and become a mesh of human slash. There's a word for their species that I'm going to Google here in a second. But this other species, you know,
1: Mm-hmm. that's the same topic I was going for. But I was thinking of a very specific reason, and I was going to connect it to that good old terrible, terrible quote.
0: The other race are the precursors, but go ahead.
1: The terrible, terrible quote about, well, why do certain cars have certain personalities? And it's because that's the personality of the person that was last in the car. What my presupposition is, is that, okay, they learn that they can link minds with humans. They learn that they have been defeated twice, and the second time it was helped by a smaller robot. A big point of the second film, and even the first, is that these robots are trying to take over our planet, and one way to do that is to send out multiple, and to, to like, clone organic matter to make multiple of itself and to spread itself. And in the second one it's much more about, oh, we're going to create these, like, seeds of our brains, that we're going to plant, and they're going to grow and infect the machine. What I'm thinking is, they learn that they need to do something to stop being a hive mind. Because they have been twice defeated by a significantly less advanced species with worse resources and all that, and they might think through their connection, okay, we've learned that this person was extremely unique he was a fanatic he he had all these strange quirks that separated him even though he was a friendly guy and he did have a a good close connection with someone so maybe what we need is to have more individuals so in order to spread in order to advance and in order to dissociate from the central hive mind what they do is they plant seeds in cars. And what these seeds do, these brain seeds, is they wait until someone gets in the car, and then they take over not only the car, but that person, fusing man and car. Okay. So I'm not saying that these cars in the Cars movies are, uh, like, great-great-great-grandchildren. What I'm saying is that these Cars movies take place less than 10 years after the aliens, the precursors take over the entire world.
0: Okay. That's bold, John. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing. Uh, that That's a bold take. And I will say something that I think supports them, uh, wanting to sort of plant the seeds in the cars is a big difference between Pacific Rim one and two Pacific rim. One, they have like no like stealth whatsoever. It's literally, let's make big, big, big monsters and throw them at them until they all die. And Mm -hmm. what an incredible plan. But in Uprising, they've learned a lot. So they do like some sneaky sort of infiltration stuff. They uh, make Charlie Day go crazy and join Mm -hmm. their side. Uh, they, They have him infiltrate a company and somehow secretly put their giant, giant brains in each of the robots I don't know how only Charlie Day by himself got their big big monster brains in the robots without I mean these would take teams of hundreds of hundreds maybe thousands per robot but I can't dwell on that it happened
1: uh, you see Lucas it's really my, simple what what they do is uh, it's a movie
0: yeah that's 100% why
1: uh, so <laughs>
0: and honestly they get a lot closer to winning in the second movie i would i would say cuz like they they have some plan that involves like blowing up mount fuji or something am i remembering that right yes okay and that's they almost do it the but...
1: entire plan
0: yeah i don't know man but they almost do it but then they drop a giant robot from space on them where they throw a robot into space and drop it on them and that's pretty cool so so they've learned that they can be more subtle that they can do some more strategic things, uh, and this infiltration plan of slowly and subtly without anyone noticing would sort of track on that curve that they've gone on. Like, we know that full-out blatant attack doesn't work. Uh, we've tried sort of a uh, sort of a combination where we surprise them, but then our plan just comes down to attacking them in crowded cities at the end of it. So let's go full infiltration, full assimilation. I think works really well.
1: All right, all right, all right. I
0: I will say I do still like the humans sort of infecting the hive mind with humanity just because I feel like that they could still cut off the hive mind because clearly Lightning McQueen and Tomator are not in a hive mind together is maybe they assimilate so many humans that the desire for individuality becomes so great that basically they get outvoted, you know, basically Mm -hmm. they assimilate too too many humans so that the humans are the, are the greater part of uh, their collected mind. And they're like, no, we liked this better back when we were individuals and they've still been corrupted into like sort of the precursor thought. So they didn't think, let us be humans again, but Uh, So they stay as cars and fused with these kaiju brains. But the precursors basically uh, get themselves out of existence because they go too far with the humans, maybe.
1: Hmm. I can see it. I was was going to argue earlier that you said they learned. And I feel like instead of that, it's more that they respect us as a race a little bit more. Because in the first movie, it seems a lot like, oh, we sent a monster... That didn't work. It almost worked. We destroyed just a lot of civilization, and it took them a while to make robots that could fight us. Uh, Then, uh, well, okay, that didn't work. We'll send a bigger one, and a bigger one, and a bigger one. And then in the second one, they're like, okay, we can't just keep sending monsters because they're making better robots. So I guess let's be sneaky. I mean, it feels beneath us, but... I mean, I guess we can't really say that because they almost blew up Carl the other day with sending humans to our planet, which didn't know they could do that.
0: I do like that at the end of the first one, the plan does boil down to let's just throw a robot into their dimension, see how they like it. I'm tired of this. We're going to blow them up. We're going to go to their place and then we're going to blow up them and then they're going to stop bothering us. And they do for several
1: years. Mm -hmm. It's because they need to reopen the gateway. But at the same time, maybe it's just, okay, let's rethink this a bit. Maybe this time we don't make a gateway that goes both ways.
0: One of those, uh, why did they have an exhaust port that blew up the entire Death Star situations? Only there isn't a Rogue One to explain it.
1: Yep, because this movie, one of the best parts of it is that there are times where it allows itself to be a movie in a way that's like, okay, it's it's allowed to just be fun. Yeah. Why did they make robots to fight these things when they could just make these weapons that they attach to the robots and not put the robots there? It's because you want to punch a giant monster with a, a gigantic mechanical fist.
0: And one of the criticisms I always see of it is like there's a really cinematic moment where the main robot uh, in the first one brings out a sword when it's <laughs> like almost <laughs> dead and immediately kills the, bi- the big monster. And I see some people online going, oh, why didn't they just use the sword from the beginning? Because it was awesome <laughs> when they brought the sword out while they were in the air and cut basically Mothra in half and then fell and fell back down. That was really cool. Are you kidding?
1: Oh because dramatic tension i guess
0: so i think our infiltration it's what i'm going to land on is almost certainly what happened but just just to give the other side maybe a fair shake is is there a way that uh humans get more more dependent on this technology where they can plug themselves into machinery and it's like precursors they're dead we we beat them at the end of pacific Rim to fully and finally and since now it's become becoming more and more of like easy to do this sort of drift technology maybe they just sort of get in cars and they don't get out you know
1: maybe i'm i'm thinking okay so one big point in the first movie is that the sale of kaiju parts is a major industry. It's an underground industry. But it's a major industry for earning money. So what happens in the second one. There's just bits everywhere. And I'm not talking about just the kaiju bits. I'm talking about the robot bits. They're just like a two dozen of those mechs that were made. And just manufactured to be cheap yet somehow better. And they're all weirdly filled with this brain tree that somehow can now survive in our atmosphere even though a major point of it was you have to keep it in the right atmosphere or it will dissolve pretty quickly so clearly it's been altered to survive a lot more effectively like so it probably is a bit more human and clearly if you interface with it like some of the underground would be doing you become a little less human. So I'm thinking that the underground trading and experimentation with this goop, it allows us to form more direct biological connections to technology. And that's yeah, that's a Pandora's box where you figure out how to do something and not only how to do it, but how to do it in a way that you can sell in a way that is advantageous. And all of a sudden it's going to become too hot of a product for people to stop.
0: Yeah, and I mean to your point, uh, the small robot that we were talking about that as far as, as far as I know is the first of its kind that can be piloted by a single person. Maybe it's just if they had ever made them at this scale, it would have worked fine, but it was made by just a person. Like, I think literally a teenager, because this movie insisted on giving us a cast of five forgettable teenagers instead of old fan favorites. But, uh, (laughs) Just out of like junk she found, it was very illegal, but she was able to just sort of salvage stuff from a big Jaeger fight and make her own. Mm-hmm. So that works perfectly for what you were saying.
1: Yep, she was able to use spare Jaeger parts. And here's here's another uh, bone to pick: is in the first film, they established that the drift was necessary for the neural load, and it wasn't based on size. Because they had footage of these people and the experiments. And these people were not in Jaegers. They were just operating like one arm of the Jaeger. And all of a sudden, massive nosebleed. And they're having some sort of stroke. Like, terrible things would happen to you if you were operating any amount of Jaeger alone.
0: Yeah, that's a weird weird thing they decided to do in the second one. But I mean, maybe it's just secondary protagonist from Pacific Rim Uprising who, gosh, they're all so forgettable. Maybe she just figured it out. Maybe she did it more efficiently. Maybe the fact that she was doing it so, I guess, unregulated uh, and the fact that time had progressed and she was putting together ideas that had already been formed for her. uh, So she was able to experiment with them more. Maybe she just cracked it, you know? which is a huge step forward to getting single people in single
1: cars. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. What if these people just really wanted to, like, have an emotional connection to their car? So they find a way to incorporate the alien kaiju DNA into their car, making biological To make them like pets? To make them like pets. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) And then they want to, like, get to know their pet. So they establish a neural link or a drift with their pet. Or what if they want to be able to operate things like their house, their car, all of these things, but they don't want to have the neural load be too much. So they just make secondary brains that are supposed to be blanks that help them share the neural load. So they make their own. Yeah. They make their own little brains, not realizing that their brain and them drifting will cause a fusion. Mm.
0: Yeah, that that's something that they explore, like I said, in Black Mirror all the time, is making copies of your consciousness and then putting it into technology to like operate it.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: truly disturbing to think about. It's one of the concepts in Black Mirror that freaks me out the most. <laughs> but if they did that, clearly in again in Black Mirror, these copies of consciousness who are like operating your toaster and whatnot are very unhappy about it, you let them operate a car, they're gonna rise
1: up. I just, I'm so bothered by the the idea of that Black Mirror concept, because if the technology is advanced to the point where you can replicate a consciousness, then you've gone several steps past the point when you could have just downloaded someone's preferences, and that's all they needed to do. Because that's what they're for. They make copies of you so that they can know what your preferences are instead of just copying your preferences.
0: Yeah. And they explore it in a few different ways in later episodes of like, what if your body dies? Or uh, what if uh, you want to see if you're truly compatible with a person? But I agree that the original of just like, operating your toaster to an extent that you like is maybe a bit a bit weird that they used this it, it, it's like using like a gun to kill a spider kind of
1: now lucas you've given me inspiration
0: okay they're gonna shoot a spider
1: you mentioned the the part in black mirror when they upload their consciousness because they're dying yeah i was getting there and that's a way to live forever <laughs> yeah what if There is no human component other than the remnants of the personality because all of these people have their consciousness when they're dying just uploaded to this weird neural sharing device that takes over the world and makes cars now that are people who have died. Yeah,
0: I think that could work more than I want it to. (laughs) Yep. 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 Because... Going back to Pacific, they got the technology to put their brains in stuff. That's the whole point of why we're doing this episode. Like, They could do that if they wanted to, I guess. I guess. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. John, can I tell you my favorite connection that Pacific Rim explains for the Cars universe? Go for it. So in Cars, there is evidence that dinosaurs existed because of the Dinoco logo being a literal dinosaur, not a car dinosaur. And they mentioned like fossil fuels and stuff. So we've always sort of struggled with if these, or if this is not a continuation of human society, then how did they have dinosaurs? And of course, Pacific Rim is still a continuation of human society. But in Pacific Rim, canonically, dinosaurs were actually, were kaiju the yep. first time they came to Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, ah, oh, it's not polluted enough. Let's leave, I guess.
1: Which. If that's the case, why were there so many?
0: <laughs> there were a lot of dinosaurs. You know how many? It's a weird line.
1: You know how many kaiju they sent? Can- they sent maybe like a hundred. You Want to know how many dinosaurs there were? More so than that, many dinosaurs.
0: So I, I think that could be, if we're going with back to the uh, the cars are the precursors, sort of combined with humans. They have a very distinct connection with dinosaurs, you know, Mm -hmm. that would make them uh, want to put the dinosaur on their logo uh, more than like, like you don't really see other stuff like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like you don't really see like birds in logos or anything else like that. The precursors have the like, they were literally dinosaurs since they shared the connection with the kaiju guys you are part of the hive mind so yeah that's pretty cool i like that a lot i thought of that right before the episode and i was very excited about it
1: so is just just to just to further this or clarify are you suggesting that some of that hive mind retained some dinosaur in it so some of the cars were actually part dinosaur
0: i mean well that here that's a question, I guess, about just dinosaur about uh, hive minds, I mean. If a member of the hive mind dies, does their part of the mind remain? Since it's probably spread through
1: the mind? In a classic hive mind, there is no part. There is just Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Another one. So you have like eighteen different outlets, they're all the same signal.
0: Yeah, I'd say Before they split to individuality, the hive mind remembered being dinosaurs. So each, I would say, each car, somewhere in the back, back recesses of its mind, it's been so muddled by being combined with uh, humans and, like, cows and stuff, since tractors are also cars, that it barely, barely remembers it at all but each of them has some faint memory of being a dinosaur,
1: being all, all right. the dinosaurs. It's like every single car. If you were to ask them, what's their spirit animal, their answer is probably going to be the kind of dinosaur they were.
0: Yeah. And that's, they're like, that's the only animal they know
1: because
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> they were them. <laughs> that's uh oh man. What a weird throwaway line to put in your movie that, Oh, the monsters here, they were dinosaur. They were the dinosaurs. Now I do, this, I don't think has much discussion on it, but I do want to point out that uh, one of the questions from our Vaniverse Kari speechal was from Rob and he asked when Pacific Rim happens on Car Planet, what shape are the giant robots going to be? Car shaped, forklift, humanoid. So I would like to update our answer to, <laughs> come on, Rob, it already happened.
1: <laughs> yes. And they were that shaped.
0: Yeah. You've seen the Pacific Rim on Cards Planet, Rob.
1: It was Pacific Rim.
0: And unfortunately, Pacific Rim Uprising. I was watching uh, clips of the movie to remind myself what happened in it. Because, like, I could honestly, if someone were to say, Lucas, tell me to the greatest degree of detail possible possible, what happens in Pacific Rim, I would not leave out a lot. I remember that movie really well. But I... I (laughs) was watching clips on youtube of pacific rim uprising just to sort of remember what happened uh and like i remember john boyega's character i remembered the annoying teenagers uh but in the final battle john boyega looks over and i was like yeah he's with the annoying the main annoying teenager girl uh in the in the jaeger right there was just some guy there
1: no yeah he's with uh, some
0: eastwood non descript script white guy who i did not remember <laughs> whatsoever who I went back and watched more clips is apparently th- in the whole film, very yeah. important. He like trains the recruits.
1: Like, the whole thing about his character is you're supposed to dislike him because he's the stiff militaristic one of the pair, but like also not really a bad guy. He just didn't leave and he's upset that his old friend left. Like, boy, howdy is he. Hard to remember generic white guy who I just happen to remember is blank Eastwood, son of Clint Eastwood.
0: Yeah, that 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 was what sort of solidified like, man, I didn't really like this movie. The action is fine. I I will say the biggest issue I have with the action is the the Jaegers feel so like heavy in the first movie. Like you can you can feel like the mechanical force that is needed to move them
1: i love a good mechanical feel and consideration in a movie and that's why i had such a big problem with the second one
0: they were they were too they moved too fast and it it just wasn't it it was like they were made of air like they like Mm -hmm. they were just people running which is not how that would work obviously it wouldn't work anyway but
1: yeah it's if very it were upsetting. to
0: work, it would work much more closely to the first one.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's, I agree, it's very upsetting. Uh, like, they, they wanted to say, oh, they're the new sleek designs. And what I saw was a bunch of very, very generic, not unique, not character-driven, not in any way the same feel they're supposed to have ripoffs of one of the models that they had in the first film.
0: Yep. Okay. I don't know if this is going to bear any fruit because I've thought about it for a second and I don't really have anything, but I want to throw out to you, we've talked a lot about how if this movie, if, if Pacific Rim and cars were connected, how like it got from one point to the other. So like the past of cars, if that is true, Mm -hmm. what implications does Pacific Rim being a prequel to cars have on like the cars present and the cars future like what are we not seeing maybe in the cars movies but that is you know very much uh true because pacific rim is a prequel to them
1: what was the point of the human race (laughs) it's a big question john in the movies
0: (laughs) oh cool uh like why did the precursors yeah to to win to Just say what you're trying to say. Not the goal.
1: The point of them being left on there was for them to pollute, ruin, and basically destroy the atmosphere of the Earth. And one of the most effective ways we've done that is cars, these little gas machines. So what if the reason the cars are the way they are is because that's the most effective way they could turn the humans... Into more effective fuel consuming machines. Okay. The whole thing is to make this race of people that they left on this planet as an infection better as an infection. So, the reason that racing is such a huge industry <laughs> yeah. is because, come on, guys, it's been another five years. We calculated that it should be about twice the devastation now. We're going to make sure you... uh, I don't know. What's something the humans used to have? NASCAR. Let's bring that back and make it a lot more intense, a lot more extreme, and uh, just all the fuel consumption. Who are we going to have, like, I don't know, motivate these people? Well, we can offer them, like, I don't know, a sponsorship for a fuel company.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I like that a lot. And so... In this, you're saying that maybe instead of where we got to was that they sort of fuse species, that the precursors are still totally in control. They haven't maybe fully severed the hive mind, but left the connection enough. So like Charlie Day's character, they can nudge them how they want to. So -hmm. they still have that connection of like, oh, maybe we should get back into racing. Oh, this is my favorite thing ever. Oh yeah,
1: cool. And so- in order to do that, they don't have to have the hive mind per se. They could just put one of their own into the body of one of the cars. And that's why Cars 2 happens. Why is this man's plan to be wealthy off of this industry of fuel efficient, uh, like this new fuel that's supposed to be better for the environment, green fuel? Because he's supposed to lose. He was never supposed to win. The bad guy was supposed to lose, and all of the things that don't make sense, no, they, they make sense when you think, okay, this very wealthy man can't fix himself because of some weird fatal flaw no one understands, maybe an alien being inside of him, and he's going to ruin the reputation of his own fuel that he has spent so much time and effort making why would he do that? Oh, because he wants biofuel to look bad, okay. And then, why did he lose? Oh, because he was no longer necessary, and we don't want the people to focus on him,
0: John. The implication that I, I, I like maybe Sir Miles Axelrod uh, was genuinely like into biofuel for a long period of time, but uh, like he was a human uh, car, mm-hmm. and then he was replaced. By a precursor, that's so so powerful. That's I don't even so, want to say replaced. So good.
1: I want to say infected. Like Charlie Day's character Newt mm. infected, because what he what happens is in the second film, his character isn't being mind controlled per se. He isn't being puppeted. He was just pushed and nudged, and made to think. And value things in a different, more perverted way. And that's both a pun and not a pun. Because it was sexual, but also not sexual.
0: It was weirdly sexual. Yeah.
1: And the whole thing is, he started to value that connection with his new girlfriend. And maybe it's just changing the way Sir Axelrod views... His own desires and he it changes how he desires things,
0: yeah. I really, really like that, John, <laughs> to a point to a very large point. Uh, I, I like that it even explains him being a lemon. Uh, because we we see that after Newt, Charlie Day's character, does his neural link with the with the uh kaiju and the precursors, it messes him up, he can't handle it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, And there are like some remnants of that, if I remember right, in Pacific Rim Uprising. Like it's continued to physically affect him to a degree, like Uh, some weird
1: discoloration of his skin, maybe a rash, and I think maybe it did something to his eye.
0: Yes, I I think so. Uh, But so, so do you think all of the lemons have been been pushed this way? I would say, or all of the bad guy lemons, at least. I, I think we can allow for you know some naturally occurring cars who just don't work as well but i i
1: would say that would definitely explain why they were so violent in a way that was self-damaging because again yeah and they don't want to be focused on they don't want things to show up in an autopsy they want to either win or to blow up
0: yeah and (laughs) uh it, it it also explains what we always saw as just sort of a flaw in the movie, and it's still a flaw in the movie since you know this is not true, but about how the lemons are so one dimensional when they could be doing this for such good reasons. Mm-hmm. Instead, they are just like, hey, we're evil and we want to ruin the reputation of biofuel. Mm-hmm. But if they have been so one dimensionally pushed by these otherworldly beings. That's how they would act.
1: And the one dimensional nature of it again, like there's this weird thing where when he links with the hive mind, he becomes fixated and obsessed with one thing. And it was the link in that in specifically his case. And in Sir Miles Axelrod's case, it would be the fact that he feels he's flawed and he wants other people to pay for it. And he wants something like that to happen. And with the lemons, it's all about their identity. They're obsessed with being lemons, which explains why one of our best examples of copious amounts of food existing is that the lemons collect giant piles of lemons
0: yeah they're I mean they go kind of crazy in the in the same way that uh, Newt Charlie Day does in Pacific Rim uprising and in the same way that newt is sort of a one-dimensional not that great villain so are the
1: lemons <laughs> mm-hmm. it's this weird twisting of what you value in a harmful and specific oddly quirky way
0: yeah so i i want to say that in-, in-, in cars 2 they still pretty much lose like it like lightning and mater mostly mater god bless him. successfully ruin now, the precursors' plan, if only because man that's funny in in the first two now in the series, uh they're ruined by humanity banding together and and using all of their resources uh uh as a global community to fight back with all of the human spirit that we have, uh but in cars two, uh, they didn't account for Tomater, did they. <laughs>
1: They didn't account for one thing that humans have that no one else has. Domator. Dumb, emphasis on dumb luck.
0: And, and somehow, when they made Tomator, they just made him too darn powerful. <laughs> so, last thing I want to get to, you're implying that if this part is true, sometime in the future in the Cars universe, the precursors come to the Cars universe. I'm like, finally, you did it. Okay, this is ours now. Yep. I do. Okay. I really like the idea of they get so mad at Mater for ruining their plan. They're like, can we just send in one more kaiju? (laughs) Like, I hate this tow truck so much. He ruined our good, good plan to uh, make them distrust biofuel. Let's just wipe Radiator Springs off the map. And, you know, Mater has fought a lot of weird big cars in his side adventures. Oh, no. Now that I think about it for a second, John.
1: Mater's been to the Pacific Rim.
0: Now that I think about it for a second, John. (laughs) Gosh darn it.
1: Remember that that time Mater was a taxi for one person, said, I'll take you wherever you need to go. And then he drives across the bottom of the ocean. Specifically the Pacific Ocean, yeah. Into and out of the Pacific Rim.
0: (laughs) Oh, my... I think Mater knows, and he went, okay, this happened after Cars 2. Sure, why not? Let's say that. Uh, He just took a pit stop in uh, the precursor's dimension uh, and was like, hey, y'all can't be doing this, and just really roughed them up. (laughs) That was an unseen interlude in Tokyo Mater. (laughs) The six... I don't know, six to ten minutes short about Mater learning how to drift in Tokyo.
1: What if the reason (laughs) that Lightning can't remember any of these adventures (laughs) is because Mater has to remake Lightning every time because either Lightning becomes infected by a kaiju or just killed by one. So Mater has to remake him every time.
0: I'll flip this around maybe the precursors use their connection to be like, you can't know about Mater. Like, we we can't do anything to Mater for some reason. But like, you, his best friend, have to see him as a bumbling idiot or you'll, you'll believe him about all this stuff about us. And we can't have that happen. So we're just gonna do some rearranging in your brain real quick because this tow truck just perplexes us.
1: Mater trains his friend Lightning to be... A godlike being with lightning powers, just like him. And in Tokyo Mater, the reason you never see Lightning's powers after that is because the kaiju or the precursors do something to Lightning, which is why Mater has to go to the Pacific Rim to beat them up.
0: And I, I will say, maybe all of Mater's tall tales are actually Mater training Lightning to be like his protege because. Most of them involve him getting beat up a lot, you know.
1: By very large, powerful beings.
0: And even not even when it's not that, it's like he's like, you can jump over this huge With gap. a rocket attached
1: like to you, you know, like... The, that the, happens the in robots. Pacific Rim Uprising. <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. They strap
0: some big, big rockets to the robots and then drop them from space. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I've loved this episode the whole time. The past ten minutes have been maybe my favorite ten minutes we've had on the show in a long time.
1: Oh boy. Because somehow, somehow, making Pacific Rim 1 and 2, the the prequel to the Cars films, makes Cars 2 a much, a much better film. Cars 2 can almost be thought of as weirdly sly and good if you take all of that into account
0: if and only if you consider pacific grim wanted to prequels to cars which is exactly why we're doing this series i am a big fan of this whole series we're doing john so good i don't think we're gonna say anything better than that you want to go ahead and end it
1: yeah let's end it there
0: okay cool uh thank you all so much for listening uh it's a really cool thing that you did and we appreciate it a lot Your support means the world to us. And I will specifically say, I spent a lot of time the past few weeks just thinking on and off about different series that could be prequels to Cars. So I've thought of like a decent number of them. If you've got a good one, go ahead and send it in. Uh, I'll say we've probably got most of like, there's a sentient vehicle in this one. Feel free to send them in anyway. Uh, But if you have any that are sort of like, like weird ones that you can still get to cars, sort of like Pacific Rim was. God knows we're too stupid to think of them, so we would love to hear them. And you can send those to us at throwing it to John.
1: The Kachat.
0: Yeah. that's that, that wasn't like as good as I thought it would. Not not for any fault of yours. You just said the name of the show. Like what else would you have done? But yeah, our Twitter is at the Kachat. <laughs> and our email is the at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to also send us any questions you had any comments uh we want to do another full audience question episode at some point we can't do that if you don't send us questions so uh do that uh and john says some other stuff so i'm gonna let him do that
1: uh just to further what you said earlier if you have a favorite movie that you think would be a fun difficult movie to connect in any way to cars send that one our way too because that that could be fun
0: yeah and uh we would love it if you got it started for us, but if you don't want to do that, we'll try. I mean, if we can't get there, we won't do an
1: episode on
0: it. But
1: very true. All right, uh, say stuff
0: about subscribing and stuff.
1: Remember to like, comment, subscribe, tell anyone and everyone. Period. Uh, this yeah. is uh, this is how we feed one guinea pig. We use the, the profits <laughs> okay. from this to feed one guinea pig.
0: Sure, why not? We can pretend that's true.
1: <laughs> he's a very hungry guinea pig, even though he is imaginary.
0: Uh, when guinea pigs get hungry, they go, wee, 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 wee. I know this. I sort of, my girlfriend lived with one. His name was Gandhi, but we called him Pig. Anyway, <laughs> uh, rest in peace, Gandhi. I assume you're dead. That's a sad note, but who cares? I'm Lucas Southworth.
1: <laughs> and he's not dead. He'll live forever. Uh, don't rest. You're, you're wicked. Uh, I've been John Bishop.
0: (laughs) Cool. Until next time, don't forget to float like a Cadillac.
1: And sting like a beamer.
0: Uh, bless up, Gandy. I'll never (laughs) forget you.